Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, joined alongside, as I am every week, from our undisclosed locations all over this great country that we have here, uh, by Sam Griswold, the producer of OTB, and uh, our media maven. Is that a female name? I'm not sure. Grail Hallett. Uh, guys, uh, big week. I was on the road all week doing stand-up shows and also teaching little kids how to do stand-up comedy, stand-up and learn. Um, you know, it was funny. It's uh, interesting. Our guest today, by the way, is Greg Kenny, my former roommate in the Olympic development team. was a standout of Penn State. Great keeper, but uh, boy, what a kooky, crazy mind he has. But to get his insights on the world of soccer, goalkeeping specifically, is uh, is always a lot of fun. So we got Greg Kennedy on. So guys, so I started to tell you, I um. I did the uh, Stand Up and Learn program last week in my hometown. Uh, one of my old English teachers asked me if I'd come back and do that. I had 14 kids talking about how to do stand-up comedy. They're junior high school kids, and it was, uh, it was fantastic. But, uh, you know, one of the things, we're talking about how this, this whole uh, quarantine and the COVID stuff that we're going through, how it affects us and our lives. And we do think about the kids, but to think, to see the a bunch of them just talking about it was pretty amazing. I broke, I broke the kids up into a couple of different groups. And one group, when I got over to them, they're like, Mr. Flynn, do you know that we're all uh, uh, only children? And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. I said, my daughter's an only child. And I said, sometimes you get to go to dinners and stuff with, with adults and everything. And, and, and the, they were like, no, this has been terrible. And the one girl started to talk about it. She goes, well, I was just in my house and I was alone all the time she started to get emotional and then all the kids started crying about how hard it was for them to be alone and i just i was like wow this is not a good start to our comedy class right now <laughs> and, then, and then the poor little and the poor little girl is she's like she's like mr flynn it was heinous and she said heinous and she's 10 years old and so just that made me laugh and i didn't mean to laugh but i'm like and she goes what are you laughing at i go the fact that you use the word heinous. I said, that's a really great word. And I said, it also works in comedy. Yeah. Speaking of comedy, that's why we're here, kids. Let's try to do some funny stuff. So anyway. Uh, I'm surprised was, you knew what heinous meant to me. I didn't. I had, a, I, had asked, I had to ask the other kid next to me. But uh, So guys, uh, a lot going on in the world of soccer. A lot of moves, a lot of transfers and things. Uh, yeah. This always happens. People talk about it forever. And then it finally happens. Uh, the messy move, obviously, which we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, before we get going on all of that, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Grail? Guys, I am over politicians delving into sports. And uh, in this case, soccer, to score political points. Right. And uh, the person I want to uh, put up as an example is our former president, who came up with this uh, gem of a statement regarding the U.S. women's national team. And I'm going to quote this exactly because its brilliance cannot be understated. If our soccer team headed by a radical group of leftist maniacs wasn't woke, they would have won the gold medal instead of the bronze. Woke means you lose. Everything that is woke goes bad, and our soccer team certainly has. So that's from our former president basically saying that because our women's national team, who actually is very engaged you know, on social Jesus. issues, which I applaud them for, <laughs> apparently because of that they cannot perform on the field and, and we've all had our criticisms of the team but i would never root against them and i find it amazing that a former president of ours would be rooting against one of our national well, that just sounds like the fat unemployed guy sitting at your local bar but unfortunately yeah it's the former president of the united states so um yeah yeah you know and i tell you what I, i've had a lot of discussions where a lot of comics were all liberal mostly liberal. And yet we're kind of sick of this woke culture in the sense that you can't say anything to offend anybody anytime ever. It's just not real. It's not realistic. And there's going to be some blowback. But and, and I've said to some people who are sort of on the far right, I said, oh, you know, go ahead, worry about what words people are using. Meanwhile, you know, the earth is on fire and we can't get a vaccine because people don't believe in science. Worry about the big things, for God's sakes. So, uh, yeah. you know, Anyway, so that's uh, that's what Grail's over. Sam, what are you over? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep it a little less, you know, 
grandiose, but uh, uh, as, a, just, as half of the, our right far right wing listeners are yeah. gone, I don't know if they're even <laughs> we have any. So go ahead, Sam. So I'm just over the fact that leagues are already starting up again. You know, early August, some even in July, and uh, you know, I know they have to advance the schedule a little bit. I think because of the World Cup in Qatar, even though that's not till next year. You know, we're already seeing the effects of that. But I mean, this this just this time period feels like such an exhibition to me because we don't even know how these teams are going to look at the end of the transfer window mm-hmm. it's just like right I don't know. and i feel like we could all use like a little bit of a break I- i'm getting like burnt out a little bit as a fan trying to keep up with everything oh no sam please <laughs> well i do know during I know the pre- premier league season mls going on i always am like I, I i just go hey uh say to my girlfriend hey i'm kevin one of the guys i live here how are you How's it going? Um, but uh, all right. So good stuff. So guys, uh, on that point, um, Sam and Grail, uh, the big messy uh, Barca breakup. First of all, I got to tell you, he's winding up at PSG, but there's a lot to talk about before that with what happened at Barca. I mean, they tried to e- either blame Messi, somebody suing Messi now or Barca because of the of, of losing him, this great player. I mean, there's so much drama going on uh, with this thing, but for one, I'm kind of bummed he's not going to the Premier League only because I want to see him play every week. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't get to see Ligun as often. So well, you uh, see it on B in sports. You know, yeah, that's B true. Our, our buddy Krakauer over there, um, who yeah. does a great job. So yes, but uh, I don't have. I guess I have to get that one now. So, so so yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, I just thought it was such a classic case of poor communication, wishful thinking, misleading the fans. You know, Laporte, the president of, uh, of um, Barca, you know, he wants to really blame La Liga for this. But the fact is that the club knew the debts that they had. They, they had been understated by Bartomo, the previous president, but they knew that they were looking at 487 million euros uh, of debt. So in a weird way, I just felt like this whole step that we went through where Messi was going to cut his salary by 50%. Everything was going to be fine. They were going to make things work. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, none of that was actually ever going to happen because they never sold off the players they never they needed to sell off. You know, the big price Coutinho's and Griezmann's and Dembele's of the world. So they never did anything to shrink their payroll. They actually brought in Aguero and Memphis to pay to pay. And so, again, none of this should have been a surprise. And I felt like it was, in a way, just not fair for um Laporte to the president to even give anybody hope because it never they, was going to happen it could not happen they had to pay for the pie hey um well that's annoying because i think if you're going to lose messi you got to rip off the band-aid just make it happen boom it's over it did uh this titillation that they did that they had him that they had settled it after we had already thought like oh he's gone there's no way he can stay with what's happening the parameters that are set and yet Yep, he was staying, and now now people are probably more pissed. Well, Sam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, no, just quick, just quickly, the naivete too. Just quickly, of, Grail Hallett, no, no way. No, the naivete of Messi in a way to think Laporta was going to take care of all of this. Because well, I think he's, I think he's, he's pro- I think he's protecting his legacy too. To sort of yeah. say, I'd love to finish my career at Barca. I've donated my whole life and my professional life to this uh, team, and they really mismanage things. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's on them, it, and I think history will prove that. Sam. Yeah, well, I think Laporte was also going a little bit for like a bluff strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Where he maybe hoped that La Liga would say like, okay, if we lose Messi, we're really, you know, going to kind of be seen as a backwater. And, you know, maybe we find a way to make this happen. And Barca and Real Madrid both have a history of finding, you know, some last minute bailout, uh, you know, right. over the years. Um, you know, I think another thing this just shows is that, you know, give it with the pandemic, especially like these kind of traditionally elite clubs have just been, like the only way they've been able to compete with these teams that are basically working with unlimited money, like, you know, Man City, Chelsea, and PSG is to just leverage stuff crazily. Right. Mm-hmm. And now all of like, I mean, Inter won Serie A last year, they've already had to sell, you know, two of their best players, Hakimi and Lukaku. I mean, it's just unfeasible for them to run a team and like have it be profitable and compete with these guys. Um, yeah. So I think that has to be in there too. I'm going to say this though. I think this is a good thing. Ultimately, I'm going to try to take this in a positive way. I think La Liga has been struggling for a new identity anyway, for a long time, you know, for years we had Messi versus Ronaldo, you know, we had El Clasico. It was this great rivalry. Then we'd lost Ronaldo and it was kind of like, well, where are we? We just have Messi. We're sort of somewhere in between. Like, 
Yeah, but it's not the same. I mean, you say, what'd you say, Ramos? Yeah. yeah. You're going to put a defender in the in the same category as Ronaldo and Messi? He's a big-time La Liga player. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I'm just but, saying, I think these two marquee guys. Uh, but know. I just think it's La, La, like eventually La Liga is going to have to move on from Messi. It's better that it happens, you know, maybe sooner rather than later, and they start forging, like, some kind of new identity. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Ju- I, I just think it was unfortunate that they even had that one step in between that was just didn't have yeah. to happen. They should have, like, to your point, Flinny, they should have cut ties. I will say this. I watched the entire press conference. It was like 40 minutes long. And it just reminded me why I love Messi. I mean, you yeah, know, he's again, I'm much more of a Messi guy than a Ronaldo guy. But just in terms of, you know, his 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 honesty, his emotions, his team focus, um, you know, he ne- and he didn't blame anybody. He, he could have blamed any number of people. And he just said it just wasn't meant. Essentially, it wasn't meant to happen. And God right. bless him for taking that attitude because he could have just like burned down the building in that press conference. And he you was know, to- it, total class. Uh, you know, the other thing is just like your to your point, Sam, one of the things about putting a team together is player salaries, staying under budget, doing it all you know, it, within reason, sort of money ball at times. And it seems sometimes like a, like a Barcelona just, just throws the money out. It's like the old Yankees grail where they just would just buy players and then they would wonder why there's no chemistry there. It's like yeah. these guys getting developed together and come up together and, you know, you have a bunch of hot shots. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, as I applaud La Liga for sticking to their guns. I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I think it's the only way that this stuff gets reined in. And, and you're right. It, I mean, Barca had to rebuild at some point. So to, to leverage the entire club for one player just is not feasible. What you, they, now, now PSG has to sell 10 players, I think, to get Messi, right? Well, I don't know. The financial, who, knows? I, who knows what financial what play even means? But I think it's suspended right now anyway because of COVID, you know, as they are trying to sort of re-kick the economy to life in in the soccer world so in the uh, soccer world in the world period for god's sake i mean the one the one thing i do want to mention which is really underreported is the ramifications it has for the networks who own the rights to these leagues and so just in the u.s alone you know espn won the la liga rights from being sports and they've been promoting the hell out of barcelona and messi now all of a sudden messi is not there messi is now with ligun and now being sports is the beneficiary of that. So you're going to see it will have revenue implications because if I'm an advertiser and I bought into La Liga on ESPN with the promise of Messi and there's no Messi, that's like having Tiger Woods be pulled out of a PGA deal all of a sudden. The guy, I mean, I would have to check with Cracker Hour, but I bet that every time he played on being sports, their ratings went through the roof. How about Cracker? Will he get a crack at it? To, to do some of those games. He's, He's been fantastic. You know, yeah. Phil Schoen's the lead play-by-play guy at BN. Ray Hudson left, but uh, you know, we love crack and hopefully crack will at least get a few, get a few of the messy games. So, Hey, so, well, you know, on the other point, Sam, uh, the rich get richer in this game. I used to say like, if there is no sort of financial boundaries, Mm-hmm. Just the richest teams, Russian oligarch or whoever it is, they can just run the run the table. Even like yeah. you know, two and three players deep on a bench at Man City could could you know be at the top of the league in a, another mm-hmm. situation. So it's almost like the the you know the best looking All American quarterback never graduating from school. Gee, he always gets the girl. It's just unfair. Yeah, well, there's been Rory Smith had a great article in the Times about how Premier League teams are finding it so hard to sell players because mm-hmm. they stock their rosters, you know, twenty five strong, and then half the guys don't play and then they try to move them on and the clubs that would buy them in Italy or in Spain can't even afford them. But I think you're also, you're starting to understand why teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, like really clung on to the super league idea because that right. would have put everybody sort of in the same stratosphere, right? They were the ones, the last ones to finally let that idea go. And this is why. Yeah. That went over like a lead balloon. And the Lukaku and Grealish deals, you know, and, and Harry Kane at some point, they just seem like these kind of like vanity signings. I mean, even as a Chelsea fan, I just don't fundamentally think it's fair that Chelsea can pay $135 million or pounds or euros or whatever it was to get Lukaku. Um, they, you know, after they've signed three other top tier players who just didn't quite work out. And, um, and you know, and Inter gets just kind of like decimated as a result. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Fair. Yeah. It's a, um, 
I think it's real payback for Lukaku because he was not treated well at Manchester United. He was never given his due. Uh, racial crap, uh, people saying he was horrible. And, you know, he sort of fled that place just like Depay did. And I think Depay didn't do much, but Lukaku is a hard worker, uh, plays on both sides of the ball. Uh, he goes over to Syria, does well, plays well in the Euros and gets rewarded with a great contract at Chelsea. So uh, I think it's big payback for him. He's He's excited to be back there. Yeah, well, he was there at one point before, and of course, Chelsea let him go, and you could have an all-star team of Chelsea players who they let go and then have tried to get back and had to yeah, pay by I, 12 the, times the price tag. Yeah, sorry to yeah. interrupt. The narrative in Italy is very much that he wanted to stay. He really liked being at Inter, but the financial situation at the club just demanded that you know they had to move some players on, and they just couldn't resist an offer like this. Hey, Josh Sargent has moved uh, to Norwich, which is it's going to be fun to watch him. I don't know how well he's going to do there, but I think it can only help his game. Um, it's, but... good. it's it's a good move because uh, well, he had to, he had to get minutes. Yeah. Well, Werder, Werder Bremen had been uh, relegated in Germany, so that was that wasn't a great situation. And right. he goes to a club that's back up in the in the Premier League. I mean, what's not to love about that? Um, to, I, th- I think it's really good for him, frankly going to put in some hard minutes man uh so that's uh hopefully he gets some time so speaking of american players speaking of chelsea uh Pulisic. so a lot of news for Pulisic. one uh my old boot wearing t uh, puma love the fact they're kind of jumping in i haven't heard them sign any big players of late so uh maybe they're going for the american market grail i don't know yeah but, I, uh, I think they used to have Neymar at one point, actually. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm, well, they had Pele when we were growing up. Well, of course, they had, they had him, and and they've got you know they've got younger you know athletes like Ricky Fowler in golf. So they look for a certain image, and I think it's smart to get on board with Pulisic early. I know he's made it, it's a big deal, but uh, then they can ride him for a while, provided he stays healthy. You got a guy locked in for maybe six, seven, eight years. Right, right. I, you know, to go back to the uh, Lukaku deal and then Grealish uh, at Man City, I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think of him? Do you think he is going to be uh, a player amongst other players? Because he was a standout where he was, and you know, you change a style. Different things are asked of you. I think when you Grealish go to a different is to coin the expression surplus to requirement, which means you have. Uh, you have Phil Foden and Mares, who are somewhat similar players. Uh, you know, I just think Grealish is again a luxury. I, do I think they needed Jack Grealish? Not really. I mean, I think Harry Kane would really help them, but Jack Grealish to me is a similar player to guys they have, highly skilled and all that stuff. But I, I don't think they really need him to be honest. And it's interesting the Kane situation. Uh, he had a handshake deal, which in my life, the way I was taught, that was more important than anything. I think in modern football, absolutely not. But he had a deal with the owner, and uh, it seems like you're going to have a really disgruntled player, or uh, or he's going to move. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to move. I, I, well, he's got to move, but he's you yeah. know, yeah. They got, they, they're talking about not leave, not moving him. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it may not happen. It may not happen before this season, but he's going to move, and it's going to be a record transfer fee. And and of course, he has a history of ankle problems, so you got that issue. All right, you can see man, he takes a beating too. He's yeah. I, I love the way he plays. Yeah. So um, to get back to Pulisic though, all right, it's a big Puma deal, made some money. I love it, but they're talking about playing him at outside back, which I think would be a disaster. I don't know. Is he a Danny Alves kind of player? You know, can he sort of D up by he's kind of tenacious D wise, but he's doing it from the, well, remember the wing back in that formation is really what we think is really wing half. Okay. Because yeah. when they play a wing back, they play a guy who's a holding back behind him. So if he played on the right, he'd have somebody like Reese James playing behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would free him up. It'd be kind of like if you wanted to play Dest in that position. So actually it does, it does pull him back from the front line, but it, it doesn't have him like, you know, anchored to the back four or anything like that. Well, I want him, I want him to get minutes. That's uh, more yeah. than anything, you know, and, and uh, you know, Tuchel, it was interesting to watch because he's impactful when he gets in there, but I see him, you know, that cutting from left to right really well. And that's where he's got defenders on their back heels all the time. So I actually like um, him on the left up front, like near Lukaku, the way he used to play with Giroud, which I thought that that was a really good combo. And I think he could be really good with Lukaku actually, if they played him up there, but I'm not the coach. All right. So let's do a little quick uh, women's thing. Guys, we didn't really talk about it, but uh, you know, but not a great showing for the women. Uh, we've talked about it for years now that uh, the athleticism 
uh, and skill we're going to uh, be caught up to, especially the skill part and which and tactics. And uh, you know, I don't think that Sweden game is a fluke. And I think I think there should be a wholesale change in the U.S. Women's National Team. All those guaranteed contracts that should not ever happen again. You can't have a guaranteed contract. Coach has no ability to bring in lots of new players. So we talked about that last week. All the new players coming in for the U.S. National Team can't even keep track of them all. Yet the women, they've been around for 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. Well, they're going to, yeah. I mean, they're going to make changes. Obviously they're going to have a few people retire and, you know, and I do think it's important for us soccer for the, for the men's and women seem to get on the same page sooner rather than later contractually. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, so yeah. All right. So I, I won't even, I won't even go there. So congrats to Canada actually for the women there. Uh, Sinclair, man, she, she deserved it. It's uh, what a great run she has had. And I am just so, again, we talked about this last week. So glad to have Canada in the mix, uh, yeah. women and men competitive with the, with the United States, North America, with Mexico, we have all this, um, this competition and it's good for the game because look, Grail, even right in your, your wheelhouse there, these, the numbers for a Mexico game, uh, are high people want to watch it yep. and so hopefully that that canadian rivalry gets kicked up as well so um so uh sam talk to me about the new uh the heading rules introduced by the fa yeah so as i understand it there's going to be limits uh at basically every level of english soccer including professional levels of how many high impact headers you can do in training um, every day or every week. Now, I, I don't know exactly what the definition, what meets the definition of a high impact header, but uh, the, I mean, the, the broader point is that essentially a lot of people are pointing out the long-term health risks of heading and how much more susceptible soccer players are to uh, dementia down the line. Um, so clearly this is a step to try to remove part of that from the game, or at least from training. Um, a little bit, I guess, like the NFL has started limiting, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that and training. Right, I don't, yeah. don't know how much it'll change the game itself, but yeah, certainly interesting. I mean, takeaway heading from an English player. I mean, yeah. half the English, half the English guys I played with, they, they take a penalty kick with their head. For God's sakes. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I think uh, fundamentally, if you took heading out of the game, it would change the game so much. I wouldn't be in favor of that, but I was, I was saying to Sam before we came on, but it just it seems to me like there's a lot less heading from the standpoint of goal kicks and and keeper punts, which rarely happen because keepers usually roll the ball out now. And even on goal kicks, they're making pinpoint passes. So back in the day when they used to just hammer it up the pitch and five guys would go to try to head it, I feel like all of that is gone. So my gut tells me there's actually less heading than there's ever been, but I, I need to back that up with some data. So yeah, that, that may be right. I, yeah. you know, I still do think, I mean, there's a direct correlation between how little a team heads the ball and you know, how well they do yeah. uh, possession. Cause it's not a great possession game, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, yeah, you can say, I mean, that's debatable. I guess, you know, people like different styles of play and whatever, but there is a clear correlation also to, you know, how well a team does in terms of, you know, where they finish in the league. So uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I prefer it. I prefer watching when the ball's on the ground. I prefer playing when the ball's on the ground. So I'm not. But it's, it's, that's part of the skill, though, is that head ball. It really it is. Also, I mean, yeah, like a great yeah. defensive header or a great header, just like a great goal on a header to mm -hmm. me is pretty cool to watch. Too. Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be yeah. in the game at all. I just think it's naive considering how all sports are changing and adapting to head stuff to think that soccer yeah. is untouched by it. I mean, that's it. That's I think it's a thorn on our side, guys. And I think it's, yeah. you know, Grail, I'm actually surprised you dismissed it so so readily because look it's exciting part of the game somebody coming in on a corner kick or a cross knocking a ball in the upper corner or, or nodding it down low you know where the keeper can't get it it's exciting it's great but if it's at the expense of the health of a player look we've been crit very critical of american football yeah. they're just printing money and these guys are all dying very young and no one wants to talk about it you know um Apparently, so, you're... so so is it the act of heading, or, or, or are you talking about clash of heads? Because one one is based on repetition and heading and heading and heading leading to dementia, and the other I think is more about like more football related clash of head type injuries, which obviously I'm very concerned about. Well, the more heading that is going on in a game, the more clashes clashes you have. Yeah, that's where you clash the head, right? Yeah. One follows the other. Right, but a lot so. of heading, 99% of heading does not involve a clash of the head. It just involves yeah. heading. It just involves a ball. 
Uh, and by the way, the ball that we play with now, or we don't play with it anymore, but, but the ball that we used to play with, it was that, you know, that water soaked, waterlogged ball where my God, it was like, I had to go to the chiropractor after I hit a head ball, you know, it's like your whole neck would be a clunk. The laces. I don't know if you ever played with one. No, I'm not as old as no, you, Grail. I was in England that had the laces on them and they'd leave an imprint on your forehead when you headed them. All right, guys. Well, um, all right. Well, we'll we'll pick this up when we talk to a guy who uh, who's who should have laces on his forehead. Uh, goalkeeper Greg Kenny, um, who will talk to us. He's always got these wild, crazy theories. The guys we love to talk to him on OTB. So stick around. Uh, Greg Kenny coming up next. Right after this. Over the ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com/join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's my old roommate. He's my old teammate in the Olympic development team. He was a standout at Penn State, and he's a moron. Uh, technologically, he's a moron. It takes us forever to get this guy on the air. That's why he's only on the air every couple of months, but we love him. He's the absent-minded professor of the soccer world. He's always got these great, crazy ideas that I love to listen to. Greg Kenny, welcome to Over the Ball. Thank you so much for having me. I, hey, technology and I do not mix. We are yeah, like oil uh, and ice cream. It's like you and women. It just doesn't ever work out, I tell you. Hey, so <laughs> let me ask you this. What are you cooking up in the lab right now? Uh, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm working with the new team now, and everyone wants the goalkeeper to do more, and I'm like, just do less. Save shots, catch crosses, and give the ball to your players who know how to play. Oh, so you're basically against the this whole sweeper keeper phenomenon that we're dealing with. Yes, I I I think it's it's been off the mark. It's for years. Um, they should their role should actually be to prevent the other team from pressing the ball. So I stay close enough. So let's say you, you three are across the back plus one other um, competent player, and I'm standing behind you with a left foot that I only know what to do with is hit it forward. So, but I stay basically connected to the team. Now, if you're under any pressure, there's no reason to press you because you're just going to play it back to me and I'm going to drive it 50 yards of field. It will accomplish exactly the same thing without everyone, you know, panic that the goalkeeper has the ball and is going to try a Cruyff or a Maradona or some other move that they cannot do. That's well, I mean, look, yeah, well, look, though, uh, you know, uh, possession is a big part of this game now, obviously. Playing out of the back, a big part of the game, uh, creates space, you know, up front. Um, and the best top teams are playing out of the back. It seems uh, like that's where it all starts. Look at like a Van Dyke of this center back. He, that used to just be a big meathead who would just win in everything in the air and kicking everything that moves. And now it's a skilled player. So maybe skill is moving back. Uh, to the farthest back line, and now the goalkeepers have to have a little bit of skill at their feet. Yeah, I I agree that yes, you do have some, you do have to have some skill with your feet, but just like with a lot of players, you your skill should get you out of trouble, not into trouble. And I promise you, as as when I go on the field and I uh, someone tries to throw a fake on me. Um, I don't fall for it basically because I've never seen it before. So <laughs> I, I just don't think that this role of the goalkeeper, you know, starting the play makes any sense. I just think, you know, let him drive the ball forward or let her drive the ball forward. Let her, let her, she or he stay in a supporting position so that if someone <laughs> does rush the player, they can just drive it forward. There's no real reason to pressure a player because there's always a safe option, not because I, you're going to play through them. I could tell you're, you're, you're working at a university and in, in other places because you're like, they, he, she, them, they, they will play uh, <laughs> the ball forward and to them, to they, and she, the, it will have a... You know, so, Grail, what are your thoughts? Agree or disagree with the absent-minded uh, professor? Professor Kenny... Always have yeah. uh, always a pleasure having you join us, especially from your submarine or wherever you're calling from today. Um, <laughs> but I want you to put on, I, I know your opinion of the sweeper keeper, but I need you to put on your hat 
of a person that realizes the train has left the station and this is the way goalkeeping is going. So if just, if you accept that, give me a yeah. ratio as you're evaluating keepers, give me a ratio of what is most important in the current game in terms of ball skills versus shot stopping. Oh, you That's a good way to look at it. So you know what would be an interesting way to look at it from a training standpoint, okay? So you have 100 units of goalkeeper training per week. How much time would I spend on serving the ball and playing the ball? I would probably say maybe 18%. Not oh, 20%. very precise. <laughs> yes. Not 20, 18 18, not okay. 15. I think that's too little, not 20. That's too much. Okay. <laughs> and so, what happens? And what's the other 82%? The other shots? 82% is catching crosses, okay. saving shots, dealing with through balls. So that would be probably, I got 82% there. So I got what? 70. So probably 70 to the conservative, you know, not the conservative, but just the normal 70% would be saving shots, catching crosses. And then that leaves us 12% to deal with the transitional stuff where you're being a keeper and a sweeper, you know? Um, Cause you know, one interesting thing is so many goalkeepers have no fakes. Like they don't do any ball fakes to make their life easier for their defender. Mm-hmm. Like right, run right. out like you're going to throw it long and, and move the center midfielder back and then give it to the center back. Um, so it just gives them another step or two. I'm, I'm big on, I just used to have fun seeing how far I could make the forward for the other team run left or right, just for shits and giggles. Um, which so, thing, but it's certainly that guy. Off. So a, a quick follow-up to that, Greg, yes. can you teach a keeper how to read the game? Or is that just an innate ability that's similar to like a sweeper or somebody like that who knows when to come out, when not to come out? Is that something that you can teach them? You know, that is, that's actually a wonderful question because I have all these, all these keepers and they want to stay like ready for through balls, but then they're also worried about balls going over the top of their head. You know what I mean? And I'm like, don't play out so far. Don't play out so far. Sit back so you know the only thing you are going to do is explode to a through ball. I don't want you worrying about backing up because a ball bounced and they're going to dip it over your head. I just want you to be in a position that if they hit a through ball, you are going to explode off your line and and take it. Um, but, because now that, That's interesting, Greg, because that, that comes back to your point about being a sweeper-keeper where – if you're pushing up the field and you're the last defender, obviously as the keeper, but the, you're, you're con- concerned about your team controlling, you know, maintaining possession. Uh, if you can play it with your feet, you do push up. That's why keepers get beat more now over their heads than, than ever before. I think. Um, and also the, the other point is when we played, you know, I was sweeping, you were yelling at me from behind as the keeper. Uh, there's no sweeper anymore. Um, you know, it used to be that now it's the flat back four or, or whatever the yep. c- configuration is. So, I mean, that has changed the game as well because everybody, you know, had a sweeper and now that's gone. And so I guess that role has fallen to the goalkeeper. Well, and I think it, it's an interesting thing to make because now, and it's going to be magnified because now that you have VAR determining it, when I coached, even though, while I coach, even though I know that a flat back four is mathematically more effective than a sweeper back there. I never wanted to count on, you know, the guy who was 70 pounds overweight on the sideline to determine if our team won or lost. But now at the top levels, you have the VAR, they just leave their flag down and then they check it afterwards. So I think you're going to even see more. I mean, the sweeper's basically gone already, but you'll see more teams taking chances because they know if it's a mistake, they're going to get it corrected anyhow. That's that true. That's sense? a good point. That's a good point because in college, you know, many times we pull an offside trap. I know the team. I know they were offsides, and yet it just wasn't called. It, you know, it wasn't yep. called. But you know, you'd get an offside call about fifty percent of the time because it's just uh, look at with all the cameras we have and all the VAR and all that now. Uh, professional referees and these games we're watching, and they still screw it up occasionally. So yep. or, or or a lot. Yep. Um, Sam, you got a question? 
for yeah the, for for the professor yeah building off that a little <laughs> bit Craig, um a lot of people have complained about you know the injuries that this has led to when the assistant ref keeps his uh keeps his flag down lets a play or her flag and uh lets the play run on <laughs> his and, he uh, she it or their them and they um, their flag yeah and there's been a, a lot of talk across all sports and including soccer about head injuries and how to address that going forward and i'm just curious how much of your training goes you know, towards keepers protecting themselves against these kind of injuries and how you teach that kind of thing? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question because the one thing that I find, and again, is I don't really see the, like if a goalkeeper comes out for a cross, generally the goalkeeper is not taking the same path to the ball as the forward is. So there should not be that many like collisions like you would see in football where you have you know, a receiver and a D back trying to get to the same ball at the same height with their hands, you know, the goalkeeper generally is, is going after the ball at a higher point than the forward. So I don't really think there should be that many collisions unless you've got, you know, some guy who can't judge a cross or a forward who took the wrong path. Um, that, that I think, I don't see that many injuries, but the ones where the ball gets to the ground and it's now below everyone, below everyone's head, and you have people going out, that's a tough one to fix. You know what I mean? Um, because it's in there where everyone can take a swipe at it. Right. Yeah, but you're also talking about, uh, you know, in, in our day, again, going back to the right after the War of 1812, the uh, keeper came out of the, you know, came out off his line and he could punch, kick or hit anybody he want with total impunity. It was absurd. Uh, and at least, you know, and goalkeepers used to have this thing. Yeah. Just, just knock them out. You know, you'd punch the ball, but you'd miss the ball. It just happened to hit my head. Um, I think you hit me a couple of times, but it's sort of like, that's gone too. Like re- goalkeepers don't get that anymore. Um, it seems like uh, they have to be more refined. No, I, I agree with you. I thought the, the, you have to have a presence about yourself. You don't need to be dirty. You just have to have the other people around you not feel comfortable. You know what I mean? If you're searching for people to hit, then you're a dirty player and then you should get called for it. But if you know you are going to take direct, if the other players know you're going to take a direct line to the ball, most forwards will say, you know what? I do not want to deal with knees and elbows. And and even if they're fair, I don't want to deal with knees and elbows and punching from a keeper coming after the ball fairly. If you're going out of your way to be dirty, then that's a completely different thing. Um, forwards will generally say, you know what? I will leave this one alone and I'll get one in the second half. I'll get one a little yeah. bit later. Yeah, but don't, um, don't you, you don't you think that you were taught that though to just own that box? I remember keepers link, this is my box. You come in this box, you're in, you're in a, a whole lot of hurt. You, you're, you're correct, but I think it was, and I think that was the the, the inaccuracy it should not have been determined by the box. It should have been determined by the serving of the ball. Cause they used mm-hmm. to say, Oh, you, you got to own the tw- anything inside the 12 yard line. And I'm like, really 12 yards. I'm like, I don't think I can get out there quick enough. And if I do get out there, I'm going to be completely out of control. And I also don't think anyone's going to head it in from 12 yards out. So I was not that I was a contrarian, but I used to kind of look at stuff and say, <laughs> Hmm, if I, if I wander out there and miss the ball, they can probably score. I would let someone head the ball a hundred times from 12 yards out. And I'll go out on the limb and say, I will probably save 95 of them. Dude, you say you don't want to be a contrarian. It's too late for that. My friend, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Grail, what do you got? Yeah, uh, professor, uh, I know we kind of turned the tables on you a little bit and we gave you a homework assignment. Which yeah. I'm going to follow up on is uh, just curious, based on your extensive research, which I know you've done, uh, who you yep. would put in the top three currently of goalies around the world. And I can I can help you with names if you don't have uh, names, but okay. uh, who's your so top three? First, the first one is the Danish goalkeeper, Schmeichel. Schmeichel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The great thing. First Dane. of all. Why? The Great Dane. Well, he's not the Great Dane. He's His the, father was, I guess. Yes. Um, and his father actually won a European championship when his son was six years old. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he probably remembers that. He was probably at the event. Yeah. One of the 
English reporters asked him this question about, oh, are you going to try and prevent the cup from coming back to uh, to roost? And and he was like, I don't think it's even visited England. So what are you talking about? And I was like, wow. I love this guy. That's great. That's <laughs> wow. fantastic. So it was fantastic because I'm like, they've never won a European championship. And why are you saying bring it home? It's more likely it's been spent more time in the Schmeichel house than it has spent. In- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we love our English, don't we? We love the English. <laughs> so anyhow, um, I love the way he plays. I, you know, he has a presence about him. Um, he, he looks like an articulate, well-spoken, put-together person. Wow. You know, he, he plays uh, early, an, arts- not an articulate, well-spoken person for how's a goalkeeper. That's an oxymoron. How's his penmanship? <laughs> Outstanding. He oh, sent me a note go. once. Saying, All right, who else? So Casper so Schmeigel. And then uh, what else? Uh, the, the, the young guy, the young Italian goalkeeper looks like we're going to be watching him for Donnarumma. Yeah, he didn't want to pronounce his name because he's not well-spoken. And well, Sam, <laughs> Sam, please jump in with the correct pronunciation. Uh, you were pretty close. Donnarumma. 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 He, he is athletic. He is competitive. He has got excellent positioning on free kicks. He is long. He's lanky. He doesn't make a meal out of things. Like there was, there's a couple shots that he tipped over the top. Okay. And he's six, six. So he can, I'm going to go out on limb and say he can probably jump and, and jump 11 feet high. So he just calmly jumps up in the air and tips it over the bar, lands on his feet and proceeds to tell his players what to do on the corner kick. The English bloke, whatever his name is, Pickford jumps up in the, what's his name? Jordan Pickford. Yes. Jumps up in the air. Okay. So if you're 6'2", your hand touches the crossbar, just standing there. So he jumps up in the air, tips it, falls on his back, rolls around like he was shot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, just stop it. So and, and so I can't stand watching him. Um, I always so, love that expression. You know, you were the first one I heard uh, use that, but was uh, basically make a meal out of it. And it makes yeah. so much sense. It's like, <laughs> cough it up, please. Yeah. You know, give me a break. Well, there was a couple of shots um, in the, uh, in the England um, Italy game that were ripped wide. Okay. And if you recall, you would watch the big Italian keeper, uh, Deuterominus or whatever he pronounced his name. Donnarumma. Donnarumma. <laughs> Dionysus. Okay. Dionysus. You're thinking, I think you're thinking like a Greek god. Yeah. <laughs> and he would dive and he would be right there. And the shooters were probably like, holy moly, this guy can save wide shots. Where you would watch the similar shot against the, uh, the English stiff. And he would still be standing in the middle, hoping that it went wide. And I'm yeah. telling you, the impact of that is palatable. You know when you are watching a keeper that has range and ability. And if, if you go back and watch the game, watch, there were three shots that were wide, and the Italian guy is literally watching them going wide from a foot and a half away as right. compared to standing in the middle and hoping. And they go wide. When, it went to, when it went to penalties, I'm like, they have no shot. No shot. The Italian guy has such a presence. Everyone is now moving that ball six inches wider and they don't know why. (laughs) And I can tell you exactly why we're hitting it 10% harder because they're not sure that their best is going to beat his best. So I'd say, I could think we could surmise it by saying your keeper England lost the game uh, for you guys, not the three young African black gentlemen that, uh, that got uh, racially maligned. So, so there. Do you have a third? Yeah. Well, well, the, the three players went up. I, two of them had their jerseys were perfectly clean. They went on with a minute and a half left. I don't think one of I think one of the two did not touch the ball. I think the first ball he touched was when the referee handed it to him and said, kick it by this six seven guy with the weight of the world on you. Yeah, yeah, it's unfair. You're not okay. even gonna sweat. 
He didn't have a sweat. He didn't fall out. I, I'm honestly, if you look at the tape, I think he went on with a minute and 15 seconds. Left. I do not think he touched the ball until it was handed to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too okay. much to ask. Yeah. Yep. And then the youngster who was asked to take the fifth, even if he scored, even if he put that ball in the top corner and skimmed it off the cross, crossbar in the post simultaneously and stuck it in that triangle, I would still say it was the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You, 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 you can't put that, even if it was Pele, you cannot put that on him. There were players there that were, that had far more familiarity with, no one's been in that perfect situation, but have faced that before. Um, McGuire stepped up and I couldn't believe that, that the central defender was taking the kick and he buried it, you know, Greg, talk yep. a little bit about, you know, cause I know the psychology, you know, I've took PKs and it's like, I used to say, I would just pick low left every time. Cause I think in college, the goalkeeping is not as good. If you put it there, you should be able to, you know, get it in. Um, if you hit it wide, well, that was it. But I think um, that the psychology that goes behind it is unbelievable. Because I used to hear like goalkeepers watch your eyes. As soon as you put the ball down and lift your head up, they know that's the direction you're going. And then I'm like, well, if that's the direction I'm going. Then they know that's the direction I'm going. So I'm going to go the other way. And then they think the same thing. And it's like, it's just mind, this mind fuck that starts to happen. Um, what's a goalkeeper thinking with stuff? Are you just trying to say, uh, I just got to look a bit, a little bit move. Is it a 50, 50 guess, or are you actually waiting for body movement? I, I think you have a little bit of both. Again, when we, when we were taking penalties, you had to stand still. Anytime I saved yeah. the penalty, I was just praying the referee didn't say, take it again, because yeah. there, I, I can honestly say, I don't think I ever saved the penalty that I didn't leave early. Right. Unless they hit me in the face with it. And <laughs> But now the fact that you can move left and right and you can kind of there's a there's a a natural timing you can get, you can actually be leaning and leaving before the ball's hit with it out being a violation. I think uh, I, I think the um, who was it was the Canadian woman's keeper did such a good job saving so many penalties and she yeah. was standing in the guy. Yeah, well, um, I like the way she played. She was moving around, moving around, and as, and as the player got near the ball, used her either momentum or 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 rebounded the other. Either she either used her her momentum to continue her dive, or she used her momentum to spring the other direction. Standing still is very hard to go anywhere. You know, right, whereas object right. in motion wants to stay in motion, or still thing wants to stay still. Whatever that phrase is. Mm-hmm. Um, Sound like George Bush, you know. <laughs> Go ahead. Good but stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I, the England thing was comical from the get-go. I, I looked at their goalkeepers they had on the bench. Why they did not have a 6, 7, 19-year-old to, to throw in the goal. Like, uh, did, I think Holland did it uh, in the Euro, maybe a Euro or World Cup. They brought on. Uh, yeah, brought Tim, on their Tim Cruel. Cruel, yeah, cruel. Yeah. Right, um, right. But so. all their all their goalkeepers are all six foot two. Every one of the goalkeepers in their fleet of national team goalkeepers is six two. Give me a six seven guy who just for that thing, you just for the penalty shots, you could bring him in. But that's that's uh, Sam. Want to follow up? Yeah, Greg. I mean, you've you've touched on this a little bit already, but we saw you know these two big shootouts this summer in the Euro and then in the uh, Women's Olympic final. And uh, yeah, along with that, the kind of typical lamentation of how these games should not be decided on penalties. But I wonder, from your perspective and a goalkeeper's perspective, do you see them as you know more than just a lottery? Do you get psyched watching a shootout? I mean, you clearly pick up on more than than I do when I watch yeah. them. Yeah, I you know what I. It's interesting because the, uh, you know, the Canadian keeper who was standing and, and watching the uh, standing six yards away and staring the, goal, the the player down. Yeah. I would have, if I was the first player, he, he didn't blow the whistle till the goalkeeper got to the goal line. I would have been back six yards. As soon as she took a step backwards, I would have crushed the ball at her from six yards away and said, Oh, sorry, they didn't blow the whistle yet and turn the whole tide on her. She's standing in this girl's face the entire time, just run up and rip it. Say, Oh, sorry. They didn't blow the whistle yet. 
why why let her do her mind game with you? Oh God! Well, well, goalkeepers all had that. I remember guys getting in my face all the time. I mean, that was part of the package. What I've been sort of been refreshing to watch women actually start to play those head games, you know, with each other instead of like, that's not nice, Melissa. Stop it. That's really (laughs) mean. Stop it. Don't do that. That's so confrontational. So I liked, I I like that. But I think, uh, dude, if you if you just rifle the ball ball before the whistle blow, I mean, can you get yellow or red? You know what? I would take a yellow. You're right. I would just rifle it. Maybe just rifle it. You get a yellow card. And say like, oh, sorry, sorry, man. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, now you turned the whole thing. Now everyone, <laughs> now she's wondering, what the? No, this guy's me. crazy. Oh, I always wanted people yeah. to think I was crazy. That was the, that's this beauty. So you had to play. Um, but I, see, I think there has to be a better solution for it. I I don't know if I mentioned this one is I would play the overtime and the goalkeeper cannot corral the ball. It can the goalkeeper can punch the ball away, deflect the ball away, do whatever they want, but cannot you cannot snuff out an attack by the goalkeeper catching the ball or holding the ball. Wait, I don't get that. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Do you guys figure? Yeah, so you can just trap it essentially. No, you you can you you cannot catch the ball. You can punch on a penalty kick. On a penalty kick. No, no, you're playing ten aside. You're playing eleven aside. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. okay. Oh, so that you take the goalkeeper out of it. Okay, I see what you're saying. You know, he We're, can still play. He or she can still play. He but they can if there's it. a cross coming can't in, they cannot it. catch it. They can only punch it away. If there's a shot that comes in, you can only punch it away. So that you now have soccer-related like stuff going on in front of the goal as compared to penalty shots where the ball's sitting in there and, and again it's pretty much a crapshoot. But if you put more balls in the mixer, if you get more shots off, you're also going to get more rebounds. And now I think generally the better team would win as compared to, you know, the mentally, you know, more whatever. I like I like <laughs> taking players off. That's what I I mean, to, to eight, you know, eight players, eight aside and then just uh, just have at it till somebody drops. Or know. golden goal. I mean, at the very least, yeah, just yeah. whoever scores an extra time, that's it. Forget that's right. two yeah. fifteen minutes. And that's yeah. what I loved about the Italians, Sam, because they played. I was afraid they were going to go into their, you know, Cardinazio and just put, park the bus, and but they didn't. They continued to play. So, uh, so we're happy they won. It sounds like you're happy that they beat England too. I don't know if you're so happy with the English keeper, but uh, but Greg, we appreciate you just uh, confronting technology like you did this morning, and um, yeah. You know, I feel like one of your kids watching you. I'm getting over yeah. that. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, yeah, but my mother with technology, it's like, my God, mom, she texted me the other day. She's like, I've been texting you on your blueberry and you're not getting back to me. I'm like, <laughs> I go, Blue- mom, it's a blackberry. First of all, no one's had one for 10 years. And it's, <laughs> you are my mother, Greg. Kenny. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, and I literally, try but it's interesting because i think it goes back to my soccer philosophy my kids are so much better at it why would i possibly waste time to be average why not be completely incompetent and have them just pick it up and that's solve it, it for them? but well, you're paying all that money for school you might as well get something out of them <laughs> well plus he's in well, the yeah. lab he's in the lab with the beakers and all that stuff his, his white lab coat concocting his ideas <laughs> i think the goal should be in the shape of a triangle that'd be good <laughs> So. Well, I, I tell you, we had we were doing some stuff the other day, and we'll we'll talk tactics because we are we're playing a four three three, and what's happened is you're getting this separation of the forwards from the midfielders to the back or or whatever. Two of the three are are getting displaced. disconnected. Yeah, and I, disconnected, right? And I think the challenge is is that because when you have three lines across, it's just natural. If you oh we want to we want to attack with three players high. Well, they all go high and the midfielders stay, and now you have a gap there. Or if you want your midfielders to stay connected to your forwards, then you have a gap between your, your midfielders and your backs. Whereas if you, if you coach the game laterally instead of horizontally, you then would not have you, – you may have some gaps, but they wouldn't be these gaps that are just holes all the way from sideline to sideline. You're like you're like Johan Cruyff in total football. That's what it sounds like. So uh, good stuff. See the he yeah. he invented something that had already been invented, but he didn't know it. You got to get a Cruyff didn't get a patent on it, so maybe you can now, Greg. So um, all right, buddy. Yeah. Who are you coaching right now? Are you still coaching? I am actually year? coaching. 
I am coaching St. Francis. I had a wonderful run at NYU, but I'm running a, a program that, that just completely conflicts with their, uh, with their training times. Yeah. And, and, and there's, it's not their home field and they can't move anything. So we had to, um, we had, to, we tried to figure out some stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm got a new gig. For, hey man, one yeah. door opens and uh, one door closes. Another one opens. So uh, Greg, yeah. you've been coaching kids for a long time uh, from kids up to the pros. Um, and uh, you've always done a great job. It's always been fun to talk to you and uh, fun to play with you. Greg, uh, yeah. Greg Kenny, thanks for joining us on Over the Ball, my friend. We'll talk to you again. Get the, we're going to send you a fun. new Apple computer with a nice, uh, nice camera that you can talk into, and it'll all go easily. It's very easy. Well, maybe my, but that's what I will talk to my new boss about the importance of me being, you know, on over the ball attached to the team. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're going to have, we need late night Zoom sessions for the keepers. So, all right, pal. Absolutely. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Oh, guys, always great to talk to Greg Kenny. Man, he's got a nutty. What nutty idea did, did it hit uh, you this time, Sam? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of the idea of not having goalies be allowed to catch the ball an extra time. I, it might take me a little bit to digest that one, but it would certainly lead to some interesting situations, I guess. Have to follow. How about just pushing the ball down with your hands and then it's at your feet? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm I don't just, know. I'm, I'm all for taking players off the field. To, to, then it's just eight aside. I just want to board. pay a visit to the Greg Kenny laboratory because it must be fascinating what's going on there with all the beakers and stuff. <laughs> you got to be vaccinated and wear your white lab coat before you <laughs> oh get in. Um, good stuff. So what do you got for us this week, Sam? Anything uh, uh, that, yeah. can be crazy, that can be crazier than the, uh, than the Greg Kenny stuff? No, nothing at that level. But uh, I have a little bit, uh, I have a quiz that gets into a little bit uh, of the heading stuff that I mentioned earlier on. Okay. Um, I think I did a similar quiz earlier, but anyway, I'm, I'm doing it again. So uh, what was the average number of aerial duels, which is the term given by whoscored.com, which is where I got these statistics, uh, a game across the top five Euro leagues last season? What was the what? Aerial, aerial, aerial average duels. number of aerial. Oh, oh okay. Aerial duels per game. I'm going to say 22. Okay. Kevin. It's 18, 18, 15. Okay. 32. Wow. Okay. Way off. Uh, so what league had the highest number of aerial duels? Oh, I remember this a little bit. We were wrong. I think we all went England and we, it wasn't England. It was surprising. A surprising. Gonna, yeah. Was it La Liga? La Liga? I'm going to go. No, no, with, Syria. I'm, gonna go I'm going with, with Syria. Syria. Uh, okay, it's actually La Liga at okay. uh, 34.3 a game, so okay. above was, average. Do you have the other ones did, by any chance or no? Uh, yeah, what What do you want to know? Well, where was England, the Premier League? Uh, okay, England was 33.1 uh, a game, so okay. above average, but, you know, okay. close. But, yeah, not as not as high as Spain. Wow, so, uh, Sam, that kind of throws your, your skill set theory uh, off a little bit because I think I think the Premier League does not play the way the English play the game, which used to be up at ninety five, just play the ball up and down, up and down. Yeah, they yeah. Play, well, know, they're still the second game. highest of yeah. you know, right, the right. five leagues. Well, you still got you still got you can't can't shine shit. You still got the English players who've been brought up in that system. But you yeah. would think of La Liga as keeping the ball on the turf. Right, right. You would, yeah. But no, it's, yeah. Uh, it's surprising for sure. Um, okay, next question. Which uh, No, get forward! No, get forward. Stuck in a mixer. <laughs> which league had the lowest number of aerial duels per game? I'm um, going to say the Bundesliga. I'm going to say Syria. Okay, yeah. It's Syria, 28.8. So almost three less than Syria. Uh, they're very the delicate. Average. They're very delicate over there. That's why Sam brought up this statistic, because it proves yeah. his point. <laughs> Syria and the ball on the ground as opposed to in the air. Uh, okay, which team across the five leagues had the lowest number of aerial duels per game? Which team? Which team? I'm going to say... Oh, you're, you're drilling down, man. Here. It's got to be somebody who plays it on the ground. I'm going to say Barca. Barca with the... It's in any league, right? Any any, any league. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say Barca. Or, uh, no, excuse me. I'm going to go back. No, Man City. I'm going to go back and say Man City. Juventus. Okay, it's actually PSG at oh. seventeen point seven a game. 
Uh, second is Barca. Oh, so you, yeah. you are close there. Okay. Uh, where are Barca? Yeah, They're at Don't, play, don't place the ball in the air. Don't place the ball in the air. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> the French <game. laughs> It's like Pepe Le Pew or something. My feet. My feet. My feet. Gerard so, has invaded the podcast. All right. Which uh, last question, which league champion from the past season? So we're talking about Man City, Atletico Madrid, Inter Milan, uh, Lille and Bayern had the highest number of aerial duels per game. I'm going to say Atleti. Atleti. Yeah, I would say this Atleti too. Okay. It's actually Lille and they had wow. uh, 30.7 a game. Mon so. Dieu. I mean, they're, they're, they're winning, uh, you know, the best a pretty, a pretty big upset. They were number nine overall in the league. So you can see there's certainly a correlation between the teams that, you know, I think most people would consider play the nicest, right? Like Man City, Barcelona, PSG, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, but also a correlation to how well, you know, the team does. Well, yeah, I would love it because I'd, so. I'd have a lot less stitches on my head and face Good if stuff. the ball was always played on the ground, that's for sure. Um, Sam, I got I to gotta do some research myself. I got to follow up on that thought about whether or not the ball's actually not kicked as much. Um, I mean, I'm just saying, I can't remember very often in a game when a keeper punts a ball. Can you? Not, not nearly as much happened. as, as it before. Yeah. All right. So good stuff, guys. It was great to talk to Greg. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. People, you do not know the technical difficulties we had putting this podcast together for you today. So I hope all five of you appreciate it. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.